you know, as Jamie was talking about the wine and the pressing and um, then singing that great song, couldn't help but think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where um, Scripture tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, some things never change. You know, we've been speaking and talking and thinking about for what feels like a very long time, but months really as we've been in the pandemic and the elections and all the things, and we've been just looking and saying, at least in our lifetime, in my lifetime, you know, there's never been a more obvious time that what the culture and what the world has to offer doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And so it says here that the God of this age, that Satan, remember, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So the God of this age is blinded, but if we were to stop there, we would be like those without hope, right? We would grieve, Scripture talks about, like those without hope. But that's not where he stops. I love when you drop down to verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, right? It says this, but we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. We are, here it is, hard-pressed on every side. We're hard-pressed on every side. Listen to this, but not crushed. I love that. Struck down, but not destroyed. Persecuted, but not abandoned. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Right? The great tension of our Christian faith is that what we talked about last week and the week before in our series in Colossians is that you actually have to die so that Christ can live. Amen? And so as we come to Colossians chapter 3, last week and the week before, we were talking about these counterfeits to Christianity. I heard a guy say this week that everything that God has created, Satan will counterfeit. I think that's true, at least in my experience and things that I've been seeing is that Satan would love to help us think we're on track, even if we're just a little off track. You've seen the old adage that a fork in the road, they're very close at the beginning, right? But if he can get us off track a little bit, where do we end up as the fork goes, right? Very far from where God has called us to be. And so as we, we come to this, the, the first question right out of chapter 3, verse 1, that arises in my mind, because here, here's what the very beginning says. It says, since then... You've been raised with Christ. That's the very first thing that we see in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. It says, since. So it, it begs the question of what we read earlier and what we studied earlier is that since would imply that I have been raised with Christ. 
And so, super important for us to ask the question, okay, have I been raised with Christ? And we talked about that last week. And, and I just want to point out that when we as Christians, we, we declare this thing to people that you need to get saved. <laughs> what do we mean by that? What, what do we mean by that? Because remember, even, even the great apostle Paul speaking about what we just read in 2 Corinthians 4 said, you know, it's really through the foolishness of preaching that God chooses to save people. Why is that? Because if we're honest, you sitting here and then the next service sitting here and listening to me is a little foolish if we're just looking at it from a worldly perspective because you don't need my tips and tricks. If you want a good TED Talk, there are far more qualified people than this guy standing up here, right? My the authority that comes from this place doesn't rest in me, right? It comes straight out of here. Because you don't need what I'm thinking. You need what God is thinking. And now I get it. God chooses to use the weak things of the world, right? First Corinthians 1. And so here we are. But that implication, since you have been raised with Christ, is very important. Why? Do I need to be saved? It's a very important question, and I think there's actually a lot of reasons. Some of them very obvious, some of them not. If we were to look at the really obvious reasons, I would just simply say, look around. The answers that the world is offering to the problems that we are having are not working. And if we would be really honest, as we look back through time, they've really never worked. And you might push back on that and say, yeah, but look at Christianity. It's done some horrible things through the years. I agree, but that was people that did those things because we're sinners, right? You've heard the old adage that the church is full of hypocrites. I agree. And there's room for one more, right? Because... That's the actual confession of the gospel, right? That there is no one righteous, not even one. Hence, Jesus stepping out of the splendors of heaven to come and do for us what we have not been able to do for ourselves. I think it was C.S. Lewis or somebody like that that talked about chronological snobbery, that the more technology we get, the more advancements we get. And listen, we have them. One of my... My son was in emergency surgery on Thursday. Thursday? He's like, I don't know. Wednesday. Can't even keep the day straight. And, you know, like, you, you panic and you do the thing. And then you watch the hands of modern medicine. And it's amazing what they are able to do. It really is. And yet, the last time I checked, the death rate still sits right at 100%. <laughs> Right? Because for as, as far as we come, we are not in and of ourselves self-sufficient. And so we could unpack that for a long time. That's not my goal today. But if you want to have coffee, buddy brew, let's do it. All right? But why get saved? Can I also just suggest that as we look at the wonders of creation... The intricacies of our biology, and we could go on and on, and 
where some would say science would disprove the Bible, I would actually argue science just further helps me grasp the goodness and greatness of our God. And so I say all that to get us to this point. If I was to really give you one reason why you need to be saved, I would say it came earlier in this series, back in chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, where it says this, once you were alienated from God. And I would just say simply that as you consider your life and maybe why you sit here or why you might be watching online or you might stumble across this on a podcast 10 years from now or whatever God would choose to do, that the reason that you and I need to be saved is because we have been alienated from our Creator. That this world, in fact, is broken because we broke it. That would take a lot to unpack the timeline of history, but ultimately I would say it's our alienation, our separation from God that we need a savior. We need rescue. This world needs rescue. And so the implication then as we come into chapter three is that you have been raised with Christ, that that in fact you have died as we talked about last week, and your life gets raised with Christ. And so what I said last week is we read through that, and we're going to unpack that today, and I want to do that. And we have a lot of ground to cover, so I want to get to it. But if you're taking notes, if you have them in your worship guide or they're on the Version Bible app, if you're online, uh, my buddy Matt can help you get there, I think. But the first blank there is simply this, because I'm raised with Christ. Everything that's going to funnel down from that, that's going to fall off the waterfall of this text and into your life, falls out of that source. Because since I am raised with Christ, everything is different. Every single thing in your life is different because you've been raised with Christ. So number one, there are two decisions that we get to make that come immediately after this idea that I've been raised with Christ. We're in control of very little, as we have learned over the last year and a half. Amen? We're in control of very little, but but here are two places where the Apostle Paul comes to this church in Colossae and says, here are two things you can choose to set in your life. You can set your heart and you can set your mind. Right? And so those are the next two blanks, but let me unpack that really quick. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Why? Because the next statement is where Christ is. We talk all the time here that we have to first, it's right there on the wall, love God because he first loved us, the vision of everything that we do is Jesus. You might say, well, pastor, that's a, that's a Sunday school answer. Amen. There's a reason that that joke is there. That, well, that's, what's a Sunday school answer? Jesus. Right? Like, yes. That's what we're after. Right? Jesus is the sum total of everything that we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, if we can get you to the feet of Jesus... We've succeeded. 
just in a couple of verses, we'll unpack this in a minute, but it literally says, but Christ is all and in all. And it's like, see you later. <laughs> you don't need anything else from me. Jesus. And so the two decisions we have to make, the first one is that I can take my heart. The Greek word is cardia. My heart, the innards of who I am, the seat of me, my soul. And I can choose to set my heart on things above. Why is that so important? Because if you don't, everything else in the world is going to come for your heart. When you walk in the mall, they're going to come for your heart. I need that thing. When you go car shopping, they're going to come for your heart. They're even going to come for your soul if you go to a dealership. I love you, CR. It's one of our elders. He's is in the car business. Right? But if I look at my job and that's where my heart is, it's going to have me. If if my family, as good as that is, has all of my heart, I'm going to put them in a place where they, where they cannot deliver on the expectations that I'm giving them. No, no, no. It, Paul says, you have to set your heart where Christ is. Because if you don't set your heart where Christ is, everything in this world is going to leave you wanting. And, and listen, if, if we're honest, we have done that. We've lived that. I know you have because I can look at most of you and I know you and, and I've done that. And then God will allow things to happen in your life like Job where it just wrecks everything. It's depressing. It's the crushing. Believers throughout history and even right now across this world being persecuted and their lives being taken. And, and you look at that and go, if, if my heart is here, I'm not going to withstand that. No, no, he says, you got to get your heart, you have to set, right? Think about setting something. If I'm going to take this and I'm carrying this around and I'm going to set it somewhere else, I'm going to take all that is this and I'm going to put it on this table and I'm going to take my hands off of it, trusting that that table is going to hold my coffee. So if this is my heart and I'm going to set that where Christ is, I'm taking my hands off of my heart. Are you tracking with me? So I'm going to take my heart and I'm going to set it where Christ is. And I'm going to trust him. That what Paul told the Roman Christians, that he's working all things together for good to those that love him according to his good purpose. But that takes a lot of trust, right? Because normally when I know how old's this table, is it built well, is it gonna right? Like, no no no. Set your heart where Christ is. The first decision I'm gonna make is set my heart. Here's the second thing. What's the first thing that comes after your heart? Your mind. Is it not? It's most of the time it's not out there, it's not the things going on. It's, most of the time it's me. 
Who's enemy number one? Well, besides Satan. Me, right? So Paul immediately, because you might think that heart and mind, like those just go together. Why'd Paul say them both? But they're actually, they're, there's actually a really important difference here, right? So he says, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because I am normally my first enemy. Right? Yeah, come on, be honest with me. How many of you have ever been in conflict with somebody and you've played out 17 conversations with them in your head beforehand and you get yourself all worked up and you go marching in there and your gun's blazing and they're like, hey, how are you? You're like, wait a minute. I had you furious with me in my head like five minutes ago and we're okay? Yeah, what's wrong? Let me tell you what's wrong. I've got a list of 87 things that are wrong. Right? Like, and we just, our mind runs and runs and runs and runs. And that's just one example of how our mind can get in on the action. But he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We oftentimes think about that just as like my pursuit of pleasure. And it is that. That's part of what we set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. But it's also all of the things that our mind does to mess us up and play tricks on us and what Paul's saying is those who have been raised with Christ have this, uh, this choice to make, this ability to go and set my heart and my mind on things above. Why is that so important? Because there's, there's a power to do this, right? There's a power to do this and there's a payout for doing this, Right? And I don't mean payout as in like you're going to get rich fast. Like that's not what I'm talking about. But there's power for this because here's the reality. What does it mean if I've been raised with Christ? It means that I died. Right? So, so if, if I died and I've been raised with Christ, then the power to do said setting actually doesn't even come from me. It comes from somewhere else because look what happens in verse 3. For you died. Okay, well, how am I going to set my heart and my mind on things if I'm dead? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the, that's the wonder of what God is doing in your life and mine and in our body is that the, you know, Paul will often talk about the mystery of the gospel because this, this paradox of me dying leads to me living. I love that. Because it puts our hope somewhere else. So if I'm going to set my heart on things where Christ is, if I'm going to set my mind where Christ is, I'm going to need help to do that because have you met me? Right? Like when you get up in the mirror and you look at yourself and you're like, yeah, but I I know you, right? Like you're the one that Romans 7 talks about where you don't do the thing you want to do and you do do the thing you don't want to do. Did I say that right? It's very confusing. Did I get it right? Thank you. You're not doing what you're supposed to. <laughs> right? And, and we, we live that. So where's the power come from? Verse 3. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your power to do that comes from God. You can literally think about that. I, I am clothed with Christ. What a beautiful thing. So my power to do that comes from God because I'm hidden in God. And then verse 4 tells me what, what's, 
What's, why is this so valuable to me? Look at verse 4. Because when Christ, who is your life, right? Like there's the power. When Christ, who is your life, he's living through me in the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. When Christ, who is your life, appears, listen to this, then you also will appear with him in glory. Doesn't that sound better than what we've got going on here? I used to hate when I was a kid, when like my parents or like the people at church would be like, oh, come Lord Jesus. I'm like, man, I got a lot of life to live before he comes back. Like I, I got some stuff I want to do. And then you get older and older and you're like, come Lord Jesus. This is awful. Right. And you, you, you just kind of get it the older you get. And you're like, yeah, Lord, come. I'm done with my pursuits. <laughs> you can just come and make all things new. But the beautiful thing for those of us who have died and been raised with Christ is he becomes our life here. Because, right, what did he teach us to pray? In just a minute, we're going to take communion together. And we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer because, as he says, forgive others because I've forgiven you. He says, pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. As he's coming, even now, he's making things Right. He's at work. We've been saying for weeks, it's this, it's this idea already, but not yet. We see him. We see him. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're crushed, but not dismayed. We see him at work. And so my heart is being set. My mind is being set. There's power for that in Christ who is our life. And the beauty at the end of it is that when Christ appears in glory, so will we. It's not just some weird pipe dream about heaven out there. No, no, no. Jesus will come back to this place and he will make all things new. His kingdom will prevail. So if all that's true, then what do I do with that? What do I do with that? If, if I died and Christ is raised in me, what does that look like? Because, Pastor, those are glorious truths. I love that. What does that have to do with Monday? Paul gets right to it. The Holy Spirit gets right to it. Because the next thing in your notes is 11 idols that you, slash the Holy Spirit, can put to death. Right now. Are you tracking with me? Because you're not going to want to in a minute. Okay? Eleven idols. I almost put eleven things you can put to death. But let's be real. They're not just things, are they? They're idols in our heart. They're things that we come to love. Even if we wouldn't admit it, they're things we come to love. And if you look at uh, verse 5, here's here, here we go. He says this down through verse uh, let's go all the way through verse 11. It says this, put to death. Then it says, therefore, right? Because if, those, if that's true, if Christ is my life and I'm hidden with Christ in God, there's some things that I don't need anymore. There's some idols in my heart that I don't need anymore. Here they come. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature 
See, Paul's admit there's this war happening in the spiritual realm, and, and you know what I'm talking about. It says, put to death whatever belongs to earth, earthly nature, and then he gets to work. He says, sexual immorality, impurity. Well, aren't those the same? No. There's things that aren't pure that have nothing to do with sex. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Isn't that the... No, you can lust for a whole lot of things. You might want a new truck. You might want a new house. You might want a new job. Lust, evil desires, and greed. I, have, I meet with a retired Lutheran pastor. Shout out to Pat if he's watching. Um, but he just helps me because he's been there, done that, right? And he, he often will look at me and go, Mitch, none of us want everybody to know everything that runs through our mind. And I'm like, ugh, you're kind of right. <laughs> like, evil desires, right? We, we, I think sometimes we think like evil desires, like, ugh. It's like, no, 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 like just look in your heart. What does the scripture say about your heart, your cardia? Set your heart on things above. Why? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So this, we, we get this evil desires and greed, and here it is, which is idolatry. Because if we're honest, we come to love these things. We come to feel like we need these things. Some of them become addictions to us. And, and what you need to know is you can't just get better at not doing them. They have to be put to death. Radical changing of direction. Repentance is what the Bible calls it. So we got we got put to death. He keeps going. He says it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. These things are why God is angry. With a righteous anger, by the way. We talk about God's love, but He's also holy. He won't be in the presence of these things. They won't be a part of his kingdom come. And so, because of those things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Don't you just love the gospel? Just declaring that that used to be who you are. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things. Here's the rest of the list if you're making it. Anger, rage, malice, aren't those the same? No, they're levels of problems, right? Don't judge me if you have kids. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. If you've driven up US uh, 19 in Pinellas County or up Dale Mabry, or if you've been stuck in one of these silly road projects down here in Southampton, you know what I'm talking about. Rage, <laughs> malice. Who is, who's in charge of this city? I'm going to vote you out of all... I'm, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm talking about. These are things that they just become a part of our daily rhythm because we're selfish. Right? Like, I heard somebody say a couple weeks ago, like, like when I'm driving around, like, get out of my way. I've oh, got to get where I'm going. Like, who, who made my destination the most important? What, what, what about that person? Maybe they need to get where they're going. And you're like, yeah, but... 
If I'm in my car, I can't see them. It doesn't feel right. See, a lot of times we take the Bible and we make it out there like some far off thing. But no, no, no. We struggle with these things all the time. All the time. And so he keeps going. He says, anger, rage, malice, slander. You, are you aware that one of the things that God hates is tearing down people made in his image? That's, that's not a part of what God's kingdom is. Slander and filthy language from your lips. Two more. Verse, uh, verse 9. Don't lie to each other. Honesty. Don't lie to each other. Why? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's the process, right? Sanctification. Gradually becoming more and more and more aware of my need for Jesus. A lot of times we think of it as like, okay, here's my checklist. Here's the 11 things. How am I doing on sexual immorality? Check. How am I doing on impurity? Check. How am I doing on lust? Check. Evil desires? Got some work to do, right? Like, no, no, like you might do great at all 11 one day and the next day be a total failure. So, so what's this stuff about sanctification meaning I'm getting better? No, no, no. Sanctification is me realizing more and more my need for Jesus. If I've been raised with Christ, I have to set my heart on things where Jesus is. I have to set my mind on things where Jesus is and trust that if I do that, he's going to show up and be my life. It takes a lifetime. And then he says this. Tell me if this is applicable for our moment. Right? We talk a lot about the pandemic, but what about the love for neighbor? Loving people who don't look like me, act like me, talk like me whether it be racial tension or the LBGTQ community or whatever. And I'm not saying anything about what's true and what is truth. This is truth. And so if it says it, we believe it because it's what God said. However, what he laid out in the truth is that our role in that is to see people the way he sees them. To consider what we studied in this series earlier in Colossians, to consider others as better than ourselves. You can't fix anybody. God can. Our role is to bring good news, right? What did Paul say? How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. That's our role. And so here's what he says. Hence, if all those things are true, if there's this other kingdom, what does that look like? Hence, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. At the foot of the cross, at the throne of Jesus, all of God's handiwork is present and matters. So if you are black or brown or yellow or white or green or blue, you are made in God's image and you're valuable. 
And God loves you and he gave his son for you. And so what happens at in the gospel and in the kingdom of God is that all of God's creativity is awesome. And so we don't want to change people. We want to celebrate who God made them and call them into this life right where at the end of verse 11, Christ is all and is in all because I don't have to fix you and your problems just like I can't fix me and my problems. We all have to, and this is our invitation to everybody who's not in the kingdom of God, to come to this place where Christ is all and is in all because if Christ is in you, he will live through you. He'll do the shaping that needs to be shaped. So often we get that out of alignment in our life. And we could spend a lot of time there, but here, here just at the end of that, I just want you to know like that whole list is all exhausting. None of those things that we think we need are going to help us. They're going to make things worse. You know, every time you do one of those things, you don't feel better, you feel worse. Because Satan's a liar. And he doesn't want your best. And so all those things are exhausting. They're all enslaving. And what Paul says is kill it. Kill it. Drag it into the light. What's that mean? James tells us, tell somebody. Tell somebody and say, I need help. That's part of what the body of Christ is for. And so we drag it, kicking and screaming into the light. And we kill it. Number three, if you're taking notes. All that's really hard unless you do what verse 12 tells you. And that's this, if you're taking notes, accept God's view of me. See, because as you start unearthing those things and telling people about those things, you start to think, man, I'm, I'm not so awesome. And then the self-doubt comes in and all, all the mental health comes in and, and that's all real. But what is God's view of me? What is God's view of you if you have been Put to death and raised to life in Christ. What is his view of you? Verse 12. Therefore, as God's, I love this, chosen people, you are wanted. Chosen people. Holy. You're holy. You're not defined by what you do. You're defined by what Jesus has done. Holy. And how about this? You're not just loved. You're dearly loved. Like God can't wait to be with you. You're dearly loved. I love that. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're a different person. Accept God's view of me, holy, dearly loved, chosen. Why? Number four, because there's a new way to live in peace. Amen? There's, there's a different offer with Jesus than the rest of the world. I started reading it already. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, the umbrella that sits over everything in your life. This is why I said how we interact with people that don't agree with everything we believe. This, this is the umbrella that oversees Everything in your life, every thought that you have, every action that you make, everything. Because he says this, over 
all these virtues put on love. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. That's God's vision for his people. 